Psalm 44, Part 2 of Expositions on the Book of Psalms, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Expositions on the Book of Psalms, Volume 2, by St. Augustine of Hippo. Psalm 44, Part 2. But beware, lest thou think of those eternal things themselves otherwise than as they are, and lest, understanding those things eternal in a carnal sense, thou shouldest nevertheless not be serving God freely. For, if thou worshipest God because he gives thee an estate, dost thou mean to forego his service because he takes thine estate from thee? But perhaps thou sayest, I will serve God because he will give me an estate, though not a temporal one. Nevertheless, thou still bearest a corrupt mind, for thou dost not yet serve him with the pure love, thou art still seeking a reward. For thou wouldest fain possess in the world to come the things which thou must of necessity leave behind thee here, thou wouldest fain change thy carnal pleasure, not cut it off entirely. We do not commend the fasting of the man who reserves his appetite for a luxurious dinner, for sometimes men are invited to a great feast, and as they wish to come to it with an appetite, they fast. But is not such fasting as this to be attributed rather to luxury than to self-denial? Do not therefore hope to have such things given to thee by God, as he calls upon thee to despise even here. For such were the things hoped for by the Jews, therefore they were confounded by that question. For they too hoped for a resurrection, but they hoped to arise to such bodily pleasures as they love here. When therefore the question was put to them by the Sadducees, who do not believe in a resurrection, as to that woman who married the seven brothers in succession, whose wife of them she should be in the resurrection, they were at a loss, and could not answer. But when it was proposed to our Lord, because the resurrection promised to us is not one in which pleasures of this sort are to be renewed, but one in which we are to find everlasting delight from the fruition of God himself, the Lord answered and said, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures and the power of God, for in the resurrection they shall neither marry nor be given in marriage, for neither can they die any more, i.e., there is no looking for a successor, where there is none to make a decease. And what then will be there? But they shall be equal, saith he, unto the angels of God. Unless perhaps you suppose that the angels delight in the daily banquet and the wine with which you intoxicate yourself, or perhaps believe the angels have wives, nothing of all this is to be found among the angels. Whence do the angels derive their joy, save from that source of which the Lord saith, Know ye not that their angels do alway behold the Father's face? If then the angel's joy is derived from the face of the Father, prepare thou thyself for such pleasure, or for any pleasure thou canst find superior to that of seeing God's face. Woe to that love of thine, if thou canst conceive anything more beautiful than him from whom is all beauty, to keep thee back from deserving to think of him. The Lord was incarnate, and appeared unto men as a man, in what fashion did he appear? I have said already, he appeared unto men as a man. What great thing did he appear? Flesh unto flesh. What great thing did he appear, of whom it was said, We beheld him, and he had no form nor comeliness. Who was it that had no form nor comeliness? He of whom it was also said, Thou art fair before the children of men. As man he had no form nor comeliness, but he was fair, in that wherein he was before the sons of men. Thence it is that shewing that form of the flesh out of his own form, 
to the eyes of the beholders, what saith he? He that loveth me keepeth my commandments, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and manifest myself unto him. Himself, whom they saw already, he promised that he would manifest unto them. But what means this? It is even as if he said, Ye see the form of a servant, the form of God is concealed. I employ the former to win you, the latter I reserve for you, the former I nourish you, while yet babes, with the latter I feed you when full grown. In order then that this faith of ours, whereby we are made clean, may be prepared for things invisible, is the cause that all the things have been done for understanding unto the sons of Korah, so that the saints should be stripped of their property, should be stripped even of temporal life itself, in order that they might not worship the everlasting himself with a view to these self-same temporal things, but out of a pure love of him should endure patiently all these things that they are suffering for a time. Because then the sons of Korah have understood this. What do they say? Verse 17. All this is come upon us, yet have we not forgotten thee? What is meant by have not forgotten thee, neither have we behaved ourselves frowardly in thy covenant. Verse 18. Our hearts has not turned back, and thou hast turned aside our goings out of thy way. See here is understanding in that our heart has not gone back, that we have not forgotten thee, have not behaved frowardly in thy covenant. Place as we are in great tribulations and persecutions of the Gentiles, thou hast turned aside our goings out of thy way. Our goings were in the pleasures of the world, our goings were in the midst of temporal prosperities. Thou hast taken our goings out of thy way, and hast shewn us how straight and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And thou hast turned aside our goings out of thy way. What is meant by, hast turned aside our goings out of thy way? It is as if he'd said, Ye are placed in the midst of tribulation, ye are suffering many things, Ye have already lost many things that ye loved in this life, but I have not abandoned you on the way, the narrow way that I am teaching you. Ye were seeking broad ways. What do I tell you? This is the way we go to everlasting life. By the way ye wish to walk, ye are going to death. How broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction, and how many there be that find it. How straight and narrow the way that leadeth unto life, and how few there be that walk therein. Who are the few? They who patiently endure tribulations, patiently endure temptations, who in all these troubles do not fall away, who do not rejoice in the word for a season only, and in the time of tribulation fade away, as on the sun's arising, but who have the root of love, according to what we have lately heard read in the gospel. Have thou then, I say, the root of charity, that when the sun has arisen, it may not scorch thee, but may nourish thee. All this has come upon us, yet have we not forgotten thee, and behave frowardly in thy covenant. Our heart is not turned back, but because we do all this in the midst of tribulations, now walking in the straight road, thou hast turned aside our goings out of thy way. Verse eighteen, nineteen, For thou hast brought us low in the place of infirmity. Therefore thou wilt exalt us in the place of strength, and the shadow of death has covered us. For this mortality of ours is but the shadow of death, the true death is condemnation with the devil. Verse 19, 20, 21. If we have forgotten the name of our God, here is the understanding of the sons of Korah, and stretch out our hands to a strange God. Shall not God search this out? 
for he knoweth the secrets of the heart. He knows, and yet he searches them out. If he knows the secrets of the heart, what do the words, shall not God search it out, do there? He knows it in himself. He searches it out for our sakes. For it is for this reason God sometimes searches a thing out, and speaks of that becoming known to himself, which he is himself making known to thee. He is speaking of his own work, not of his knowledge. We commonly say, a gladsome day, when it is fine. Yet is it the day itself that experiences delight? No, we speak of the day as gladsome because it fills us with delight, and we speak of a sullen sky. Not that there is any such feeling in the clouds, but because men are affected with sullenness at the sight of such an appearance of the skies, it is called sullen for this reason, that it makes us sullen. So also God is said to know when he causes us to know. God says to Abraham, Now I know that thou fearest God. Did he then not know it before then? But Abraham did not know himself till then, for it was in that very trial he came to know himself. For in general a man thinks that he can do what he cannot, or that he cannot do what he can do. The questioning comes upon him through a divine dispensation, and by that examination he is made acquainted with himself. And God is said to know that which he has caused him to know. Did Peter know himself when he said to the physician, I will be with thee even unto death? The physician had felt his pulse, and knew what was going on within his patient's soul. The patient knew it not. The crisis of trial came, and the physician approved the correctness of his opinion. The sick man gave up his presumption. Thus God at once knows it, and searches it out. He knows it already. Why does he search it out? For thy sake, that thou mayest come to know thine own self, and mayest return thanks to him that made thee. Shall not God search it out? Verse 21 for he knoweth the secrets of the heart. What secrets? Verse 22. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. For you may see a man being put to death. You do not know why he is being put to death. God knoweth this. The thing in itself is hid. But someone will say to me, See, he is detained in prison for the name of Christ. He is a confessor for the name of Christ. Why do not heretics also confess the name of Christ and yet they do not die for his sake. Nay more, let me say it, in the Catholic Church itself, do you think there either are or have been wanting persons such as would suffer for the sake of glory among men? Were there no such persons, the apostle would not say, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. He knew therefore that these might be some persons who did this not from charity, but out of vain glory. It is therefore hid from us. God alone sees this, we cannot see it. He alone can judge of this, who knoweth the secrets of the heart. For thy sake are we killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. I have already mentioned that from hence the Apostle Paul had borrowed a text for the encouragement of the martyrs, that they might not faint in the tribulations undergone by them for the name of Christ. Verse 23. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Who is addressed, and who is the speaker? Would not he be more correctly said to sleep and slumber, who speaks such words as these? Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? He replies to you, I know what I am saying. I know what he that keepeth Israel doth not sleep. But yet the martyrs cry, Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? O Lord Jesus, thou wast slain. Thou didst sleep in thy passion. To us thou hast now awaked from sleep. 
for we know that thou hast now awaked again. To what purpose hast thou awaked and risen again? The Gentiles that persecute us think thee to be dead, do not believe thee to have risen again. Arise thou, then to them also. Why sleepest thou, though not to us, yet to them? For if they already believe thee to have risen again, could they persecute us who believe in thee? But why do they persecute? Destroy, slay so and so, whoever have believed in thee, such an one, who died an ill death. As yet to them, thou sleepest. Arise to them, that they may perceive that thou hast awaked again, and may be at rest. Lastly, it has come to pass, while the martyrs die, and say these things, while they sleep, and awaken, Christ truly dead in their sleepings, Christ has, in a certain sense, risen again in the Gentiles, i.e., it becomes believed that he has risen again. So by decrees they themselves becoming converted to Christ by believing, collected a numerous body, such as the persecutors dreaded, and the persecutions have come to an end. Why? Because Christ hath risen again in the Gentiles, who before was asleep to them, as not believing, arise, and cast us not off forever. Verse 24. Wherefore hidest thou thy face, as if thou wert not present, as if thou hadst forgotten us, and forgettest our misery and trouble? Verse 25. For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Where is it bowed down? To the dust, i.e., dust persecutes us. They persecute us, of whom thou hast said, the ungodly are not so, but are like the dust which the wind driveth away from the face of the earth. Our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly hath cleaved to the earth. He seems to me to have expressed the punishment of the extreme of humiliation, in which, when any one prostrates himself, his belly cleaveth to the earth. For whosoever is humbled, so as to be on his knees, has yet a lower degree of humiliation to which he can come. But he who is so humbled that his belly cleaveth to the ground, there is no farther humiliation for him. Should one wish to do still farther, it will, after that point, be not bowing him down, but crushing him. Perhaps then he may have meant this, we are bowed down very low in the dust, there is no farther point to which humiliation can go. Humiliation has now reached its highest point, let mercy then come also. Or does the church, brethren, in these words, perchance, lament over those whom their persecutors persuaded to impiety, so that they who endured unto the end say, Our soul is bowed down to the dust, i.e., in the hands of this dust, in the hands of the ungodly and the persecutors. Our soul is bowed down to the dust, to such a degree that we call on thee, that thou wouldest give us help out of our tribulation. But our belly has cleaved unto the ground, means to say, our belly hath consented to the ungodliness of this dust. For this is the meaning of hath cleaved. For if, when you are inflamed with love and charity, you rightly say unto God, My soul cleaveth to thee, and it is good for me to cleave unto God, and it is when your will coincides with God's will that you cleave unto God, it is said, not without reason, of the belly spoken of above, that it hath cleaved unto the earth, but that those are signified who, not being able to endure persecution, have consented unto the ungodly, for in so doing they have cleaved unto the earth. But why were they called the belly, except because they are carnal, so that the face of the church is in the saints, in them that are spiritual, the belly of the church in the carnal ones? 
Therefore, the face of the church is displayed to view, the belly is hid, as being more weak and feeble. This is intimated by the scripture in a certain passage, where someone says that he received a book, and that book, he says, was sweet in my mouth, but in my belly it was bitter. What is meant by this, but that the highest precepts which those who are spiritual can bear, those who are carnal cannot bear, and that by the very things in which those who are spiritual take delight, those who are carnal are made sorrowful. What is it, my brethren, that this book contains? Sell all that thou hast, and give to the poor. How sweet is this in the mouth of the church! It is done by all of them that are spiritual. But say this to any carnal person whatsoever, do this, he is more likely to depart from thee sorrowful, as did that rich man from our Lord, than to practice what has been commanded him. But why did he go away sorrowful, except that that book is sweet in the mouth, and in the belly bitter? Thou hast given some sum of gold and silver, thou comest to such a point, that unless thou lose it, thou art perhaps under the necessity of committing some sin, perhaps must do some wrong to the church, art constrained to blaspheme. Placed then, as thou art in a strait, between the loss of money or the loss of righteousness, thou art warned. Prefer to lose thy money, that thou lose not righteousness. Thou, however, to whom righteousness is not sweet in the mouth, but who art still weak among those members, which are such as the church reckons to be the belly, being filled with sorrow, sometimes choosest rather to forfeit somewhat of thy righteousness than to forfeit one cesters of thy money, and layest thyself under a heavier loss, while, to fill thy purse, thou makest thy heart empty. Perhaps then it was of these persons it was said, Our belly cleaveth to the earth. Verse 26. Arise, O Lord, help us, and indeed, dearly beloved, he has arisen and helped us. For when he awaked, i.e., when he arose again and became known to the Gentiles, on the cessation of persecutions, even those who had cleaved to the earth were raised up from the earth, and on performing penance had been restored to Christ's body, feeble and imperfect though they were, so that in them was fulfilled the text, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect, and in thy book shall they all be written. Arise, O Lord, help us, and redeem us for thy name's sake, that is to say, freely, for thy name's sake, not for the sake of my merits, because thou hast vouchsafed to do it, not because I am worthy that thou shouldest do it unto me, for this very thing that we have not forgotten thee, that our heart hath not gone back, that we have not stretched out our hands to any strange God. How should we have been able to achieve, except with thy help? How should we have strength for it, except through thy appealing to us within, exhorting us, and not forsaking us? Whether then we suffer in tribulations, or rejoice in prosperities, redeem thou us, not for our merits, but for thy name's sake. End of Psalm 44, Part 2